Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I'm your host, Mark Shapiro. Before we get to today's episode, a thank you to Lori Bedke and Creighton University for sponsoring this episode. Creighton University believes in equipping physicians for success in the exam room, the operating room, and the boardroom. If you want to increase your business acumen, deepen your leadership knowledge, and earn your seat at the table, Creighton's healthcare executive education is for you. Specifically tailored to busy physicians, our hybrid programs blend the richness of on-campus residencies with the flexibility of online learning. Earn a Creighton University Executive MBA degree in 18 months or complete the non-degree Executive Fellowship in six months. Visit www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E to learn more. My guest in this episode of Explore the Space podcast is Dr. Hansa Bargava. Dr. Bargava is a pediatrician and the chief medical officer at Medscape Education. She's also the author of the upcoming book coming out March 15th, Building Happier Kids, Stress-Busting Tools for Parents. I am a parent. I could use some stress-busting tools. The book is wonderful, and it was an t- absolute treat to speak with Hansa. Her book is coming out next week, and we dive into the stress that really most of us are experiencing, whether we are parents or not, as well as the importance of having situational awareness, a topic that I love discussing on Explore the Space, situational awareness as we work with and encounter other people. An absolute treat to speak with her. You are going to love this one. Just want to remind you before we get to the conversation, the Explore the Space merchandise store is open. www.explorethespaceshow forward slash merch will take you there. And we have incredible art for pluripotent hard cosine. Step into the tension and the logo also for Explore the Space podcast. You can get a mug, an insulated bottle, a t shirt, a long sleeve shirt, some stickers, whatever you need. We've got it. Please do enjoy. It's an absolute blast to see that stuff get out into the world. You can subscribe to Explore the Space Podcast wherever you like to download your shows. Please do leave us a five-star rating and review. That really helps us out. Word of mouth is also a huge driver for us. So if you like talking about podcasts with people, please do mention Explore the Space whenever you have a chance. You can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. Hit me on social media, Twitter, at ETS Show, Instagram, at Explore the Space Show. And the whole archive of the podcast is there at www.explorethespaceshow.com. This is episode number 274. That's bananas. We're coming up on 300. The archive is packed. It's evergreen content. Get in there, get amongst it, and have a blast. But now, with all that being said, let's get to the conversation. Here's Dr. Hansa Bargava. Hansa, welcome to Explore the Space. I'm delighted you're here. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Mark. We need an expert on evaluation, understanding, and dealing with stress reduction and stress mitigation. I know that your expertise is among kids, but I'm not a kid anymore, and I still am just excited to hear what you have to say. I have a kid, but I'm not a kid. We all are dealing with levels of stress that, what adjective would you use? I think it's also, it's stress, but it's also exhaustion, um, fatigue, probably just people being very 
tired. And, and I know that's not necessarily stress, but I just think that, you know, it's just been a lot for the last few years, Mark, for everybody, whether it's kids or families or people like, you know, you're hearing about the great resignation at work, right? And certainly if, as healthcare workers, we've certainly taken a huge brunt. So it's across the board. And, and you know, I'm glad people are actually talking about it, right? Yeah, I, I would say unprecedented leaps yeah. to mind. And I would also say that the the definition of a lot is totally different. Yeah. <laughs> a few years ago, it was one thing. Now when we say this is a lot, just hearing someone say it, seeing their body language, seeing what their eyes do, a lot yeah. is a lot. Absolutely. And I, and I do feel, um, and you know, that one thing that was taken away over the last few years, Mark, and I don't know if you feel this personally, I feel it personally, I feel it with everyone around me, and that is the social connection. And, you know, the social connection is so important for us in terms of buffering against mental health and emotional health issues, right? Like we are human beings first and foremost, and, you know, we all create that. And it doesn't matter, like, like I, I talk about this, like, we go back thousands of years, it's built into society. If you go broadly across the world, it's built into society. So it is what it is. Our wiring hasn't changed and, and we need it. <laughs> I, I'm an extrovert. I, I do better when I'm around other people in close proximity for idea exchange, jokes, watching whatever we're, sports or a movie. I, I'm better in that environment. And uh, when I think about what's been a lot, that's part of it for me is that separation. I mean, I'd, if you and I were doing this together, live at a conference, that would be 10x more delightful. I'm delighted that we get to do it this way. But it's not the same. Absolutely. And I think that's, you know, I I was in a a series of meetings um, for a few days in person, after a long time, right? And for for Medscape, actually. And, and that's what we were all talking about that, you know, wow, like the in person connection, it's just something we crave. And it's just so beautiful, right? Especially for us, people like you and I, I'm also a social a very social person. <laughs> and that's where I get a lot of energy from. But even if you're not a social person, you still need that connection. And, and, and that's, you know, that's why I talk about a lot in this mental health arena that, you know, the mental health awareness is really important. The intervention is very important. The access is very important, but also the prevention and, you know, just having those buffers there are also really important. Just like prevention in physical disease is important. Prevention and mental, emotional um, illnesses can can be also key. I want to start from a topic that I love, and it's situational awareness. And my understanding of it has changed as a as a parent now. When we interact with my son's pediatrician, and I know that's your training, that's your career. We all walk into a patient room like I'm a hospitalist, right? I'm in the hospital. I walk into the room and I try to have a sense of situational awareness before the encounter even starts of what is my sense of the energy in this room? What is my sense of this person's affect? What is my sense of what I feel like is important and how am I going to access what's important for them? I am very curious. I've never asked somebody who has trained in and created an entire career around the care of kids and those who take care of kids, what does situational awareness look like for a pediatrician? You know what? That's such a great question, Mark. And I just love that you actually try to get the pulse of what is happening in a patient room. I think that's such an important skill for us as clinicians. For for us as pediatricians, like I actually trained in Canada um, at the Toronto Hospital of Sick Children. And, and the Canadian training is not just the written boards, but we had oral boards as well. 
And we were told that, you know, in these oral, like it was a long case and two short cases. And it was very stressful, like probably the most stressful <laughs> thing I ever did in my life to that point. Yeah. But um, if you just and, and the Canadian examiners are very stone faced, like it's just a very like, <laughs> yeah, you can't look at them and say, is that right? Is that right? Like, you know? Right, right, um, right. And, and so but one thing, one warning as we were training for this that I got like um, for this exam was that if you don't walk in the room and you don't say hello to the child the examiner will probably fail you right there and then because your focus is the patient and the patient is the child. So you better acknowledge that child. And so like just extrapolating that, right, is where you are. Like the focus is the patient, but what is the patient? Like, is it just his or her physical health or is it actually his mental, emotional feeling? What's, you know, what are his social circumstances? Now we're talk talking about that a lot more, right? Because of the fact that we're looking at health inequities and understanding how social inequities can actually um, kind of um, have such a big factor in health inequities. But, but yeah, like, yeah, look at the environment, look at the patient, look at what, what is going on with the patient. Right. And then that's, and, and, and the second thing I would say is as a pediatrician, I know other pediatricians would agree with this is that, you know, if, I, I say this to my family too, and they call me about, their kids and say, you know, oh, you know, he's having an asthma attack or whatever. And I'm like, well, how does he look? You know, like, does he look sick? And that's the one thing that we as pediatricians always say, like, does a person look sick or are they acting sick? Really important. I, I like the it's it's what are we seeing, right? Using all of our senses to build situational awareness, right? So asking them, do they look sick? Is there a training? And for you as someone who's now written a book around evaluating and reducing and mitigating stress in kids, is there a way that you can enter a room or do a telehealth visit or work with other physicians when you're doing work with Medscape Education to yeah. understand how someone looks on the stress spectrum? Not are they dyspneic, are they using accessory muscles, or are they just kind of hanging out, telling jokes and watching a video game? Is there that same sort of spectrum for how we can have situational awareness around stress? Yeah, absolutely. Such a great question, Mark. And I do think that um, what you said really makes sense, right? To walk into the room, assess the situation. Does the patient have, uh, you know, another caregiver there? Are they alone? I mean, that that's going to shift their mood considerably, right? And we have, I mean, I have parents who have gone to the hospital and I've just become so aware of how important it is for them to have an advocate in the room with them, right? And and so I think I think that's really important. The other thing I would say is really important, and I really hope that at some point medicine healthcare adopts this, is just, you know, how do they look from a mental, emotional health point, right? You and I know as physicians how that impacts everything, right? Not just um, the trajectory of the disease, but the trajectory of the intervention, the trajectory of the compliance. The trajectory of whether that patient's going to come back and see you um, or if they're going to take the medicine you prescribe to them, right? So, yeah, I mean, I think that is almost a fifth vital sign, so to say. When you have had the opportunity over the course of your career to work with, you know, parents, caregivers, kids longitudinally, are these conversations that you have where you can sort of give them feedback of like, look, when you convey these things to me, I'm going to see you again in three months or I'm going to see you again in two weeks for a check. These are the things that you can convey to me as your pediatrician that are super helpful, not just so we can look at the skin rash or reevaluate the asthma, but that I can get a sense of how we're doing with these stress mitigation strategies we've talked about. Are there things that you have 
been able to kind of create for yourself and then put out into the world now that people can then say, okay, I'm going to see the pediatrician today. If I'm able to share these things or tell them these things, we're going to make a lot more progress in the space of stress mitigation, mental health development. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, some of the, some of the things that I would say are really important is a family environment. Like, and by that, I mean, not just, oh, you know, we live in a house with mom and dad. Um, it's, it's also, you know, what has affected your life as a parent? Did you lose your job? Um, are you going through stress yourself? Did you have an injury? Did you lose a parent? Uh, you know, all of those things actually are so important in a child's life, but also the family's life and the parent's life. And so just going back to my book, Mark, I think it's so important that I dedicated a full chapter on just parental stress, you know, and how much impact that actually has on kids, but also on them. Because if you are not, if you're, if you are not replenished, there is no way that you can deliver the care you want as a parent. But I would extrapolate that mark to healthcare workers as well, right? Like if we are not replenished, how can we take care of the patient, right? And that's, you know, that's burnout right there. And so like, I just feel like this is, yeah, my book, I'm really excited about it. It's, you know, called Building Happier Kids. And, you know, we can talk about that more, but, but to the greater issue of stress, I just think that we have to kind of go back to that center of us. You have to replenish your cup in order to be able to, and, and, and going back to the parents, I would say if they are not stress-free, then I promise you the kids are feeling it. They're feeling it. As I've sat with this, the book that you've done, the topics that we're already getting into, right? We're only a handful of minutes into this. You have flipped a big rock. This is a monster undertaking, right? And it encapsulates so much of what we were dealing with before the pandemic, right? I became a parent before the pandemic started. My son has kind of moved through this. He started school during the pandemic, all these different wow. things. Yeah. Where do you, where do you offer people to start the journey? Because again, you're looking at this giant thing. You're looking right. You're trying to eat the elephant to use yeah. the analogy. That's pretty, <laughs> yeah. where do you, where do you invite people to start so that they can at least feel like they're starting as opposed to just saying the moment of inertia is too great. The hell with yeah. it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I think that what I usually do is I bring it back to the biology. And I'll just tell you, Mark, right up front, like I was really fortunate to be able to do this training at Emory University. It's called cognitive-based compassion training. And the story is, if you don't mind me just diverging for a second, is that I, I love was a divergence. Out. Let's go. <laughs> I was stressed out um, professionally and personally. And, you know, a few years prior to COVID and, and, you know, one of a couple of my friends who were physicians said, you should go do this course at Emory University. And the third time someone said it, I was like, OK, <laughs> I got to go check out this course at Emory. And so I joined as a student. It was offered free to in the from the Faculty of Medicine to um, medical students, residents and faculty. So I took it free as one of the physicians, because um, Children's Healthcare is, has some um, partnership with Emory University. And I took it, it was an eight-week course. And I was so moved by that course in terms of how, like, it actually just completely changed the way I look at things, that I went back to them, like, a few months later when I had another stressor in my life. And I said, hey, what's the next level up? Because I got to keep doing this. Um, and they said, there is no next level up. If you want to train as a teacher, it's a one-year course. It costs blah, blah. And you can, you know, send us an application and we'll interview you and see if you could get accepted. So I did. And so I actually ended up doing this one-year teacher training. Um, and, you know, I, 
it's not, you know, as physicians, we're so um, focused on science and biology and whatnot. So this course is really unique in that it looks at it from a science and biology perspective. And, and so when you tell, like, when you ask me about the, you know, where do you start? I start with the science, actually, Mark. And the science is this, and you know this as well as I do, that there, our stress has been super activating our sympathetic system, right? Like we're living up here. Like if it's like a, like a, like a, like a graph where you see like the heart rhythms, right? Are, oh, and you don't want to be yeah. up here. And you don't want to be down here and you don't want to go like this, right? Like, like the, yeah, the, yeah. the EKG, right? Like you don't want it to go like this, right? Um, yeah. You don't want to be up here, right? Like with those big like um, rhythms. Um, we're like up here all the time because we've been over stimulating our sympathetic res- response to everything. And we've taken away everything that balances the, the whole parasympathetic system is something that we've forgotten about. I think we've forgotten about it. So, um, so that's where I would start. I would say, especially clinicians who might be listening, I would say, let's start with the biology. Like you guys know, we learned about parasympathetic and sympathetic in medical school. So tell me how you are activating your parasympathetic system, because that's where you have to start. And is that a place then acknowledging that in the work that you do, you have a broad audience of clinicians and healthcare professionals through Medscape Education, but then with the book that you've created, it's a forward-facing book for the public, right? For anyone who is a caregiver, for anyone who is a parent, for anyone who gets to interact with kids on a regular basis, or even if they're not, and they're just curious, right? It's It's a great resource. How do we, again, and this, this gets to a skill that I know you have, and I want to talk more about these science-based topics where for you and I to have conversations around sympathetic and parasympathetic innervation, we can do it for 20 minutes. Right. We can't assume that a broad audience can engage in that same conversation and will find it resonant. How do you create space acknowledging that that's your priority? That's a starting point. Make it accessible through a book and then through the wide variety of public speaking that you do where the broad audience, where someone who is just curious, stressed, scared, new parent, going to babysit tomorrow, whatever, can still access it. Yeah, absolutely. And such a great question. So yeah, I mean, when you're speaking to patients, just like you and I do, right, um, we do want to put it in the language that engages them most, right? And that is through stories. And that is through like actual language that they use every day. So I think for for the biology, you know, I am a doctor, so I have to start with biology and science. But to talk to a patient, it's really about, hey, do you know about the fight or flight response? Most people do know that actually, right? And mm-hmm. do you know how you feel with that? And, it, and, and, and it actually, that's not even like a feeling in your head. It actually stresses every system in your body, right? And that's where we get things like chronic disease from when that's overstressed, because then we have chemicals that are released that like cortisol, which most people also understand what cortisol is, you know, and, and so we need to kind of make sure that there's balance in the system. And here's some tools, and I talk about this in the book, here's, here's a set of tools that are going to activate that other system for you, right? But the biggest message I really hope that people take away from the book, you know, and, and the speaking that I do is two messages, and that's basically self-care. So again, like whether you're a parent, a child, or a healthcare worker, self-care is essential. And then going back to the fundamentals that we've forgotten, Mark. And those are things that were built into society for a long time. I can go into that a little bit if, if you're interested. But those fundamentals are essential for us being human, if that makes sense. It does. And I think that's what people 
crave and seek. And when they go to the bookshelf at the bookstore or they go to Amazon or they go to, you know, indie books that they're browsing for things that are going to make them feel welcome and make them feel like, okay, this has what I needed it in a way that I can understand it. And it's, it's funny. Like I like looking at your bio online and I like looking at your Twitter feed because it makes me smile. I mean, you've talked to like everybody and you've talked on some gigantic platforms and now you've written a book. Did you get specific coaching, training, and education around speaking to a broad audience? Or is it something that you developed yourself? And I will tell you why I'm asking. Yeah. It's a topic that's been coming up more and more. Right. We need we need we need ten thousand more of you, right? We need ten thousand more physicians and healthcare professionals who are comfortable doing what you're able to do, not yeah. to diminish the work that you do, but to acknowledge the importance right. of it. And you can't do all of it. What was the pathway for you to get to this place where I would imagine you can go in front of pretty much any audience at this point, whether it's written or on TV or on a podcast or on a stage and and lay out things where you can meet people where they are? Yeah, Mark, such a great question. I got to say, like, I've had some younger physicians reach out to me and ask that very question. Yeah. And, and I'm so them. Yeah. And I'm so thrilled that they do, because I think now more than ever, we need more people like you and I to go out there and speak because we have a public health crisis. It's called the misinformation and miscommunication crisis. So I think, you know, clinicians need to get in front of audiences and, and talk to them as real people and, and be there and be trustable and all of that. So going back to me, I mean, I started at web and I, you know, I, I have, um, I worked in the ER for a while. I worked as a hospitalist for a while. And I can tell you right now, Mark, that I actually, this opportunity came up at WebMD um, to, uh, you know, be in front of the consumer audience. And I was really excited about it. There's two reasons why I went. One is I was very excited about having a public health platform where I could speak to millions of people, not just the one person in my room to make a difference. And the second second reason was I was burnt out. Like I was burnt out. I I was working in the ER for seven years and there were long shifts. And, you know, I thought, talk about this in some of my, the op-eds that I did. Um, and, you know, I just remember going home barely, like I was on my feet for 14 hours and, you know, didn't really eat anything, just had back pain and all of this. And one day, like when I was carrying my twins, I just sat down and I was like, what am I doing here? <laughs> like now, <laughs> now it's not, it's always about the kids. Like I got to say, I don't know about you as a parent, but when it comes down to your kids, it's like, it really moves mountains because like all of a sudden I was like, oh no, like I had bed rest during my pregnancy, like twice and my babies were premature. And I was just like, what the heck, you know, <laughs> now I'm not just damaging myself, but I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's causing problems for my kids. And so I was burnt out. And so this was just such a great opportunity. Um, and it was an opportunity for growth mark in terms of just being able to write and talk and communicate to people about really, really important things. Do you see a place where an entity like Medscape creates a curriculum where, you know, you mentioned the course that you did at Emory that was so impactful for you. Yeah. Where there is a curriculum that the medical student or the resident can say, for me, I want to take good care of patients. I want to have a good understanding of the pathophysiology of medicine but I also want to be able to communicate on a variety of subjects, whether it's with my local newspaper or on CNN or whatever the case, where they can go. And instead of it being ad hoc, that we can start to formalize this. When you yeah. think about strategic goals with an entity like Medscape or your own work, your next book, does creating that formal curriculum feel like a priority? 
You know what? I really think it is a priority at this time, for sure. And and in fact, we are looking into that uh, as well. And um, also the burnout's a real priority because I think it's a two-pronged approach, Mark, right? Like the burnout, we got to lift our healthcare workers up. You know, we have to help them get back to where they need to be from a mental and emotional standpoint. It's been a really tough two years. Um, but then we need to arm them, right, and give them tools in terms of not just their self, um, their self-care, but also, you know, being the, the, the deliverers of public messaging, um, facts and science so that we can, you know, be strong advocates of that and speak up against all the misinformation that's happening. So, yeah, absolutely. And, and we are, we're, we're looking into that and we're hoping that we can, we can absolutely elevate that. I mean, our, our goal is education for the clinician to be their right hand man, so to say, um, or woman. <laughs> I should not say right hand man, right hand person. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, absolutely. You've done, right, you've just written a book, yeah. you've done TV, you've done op-eds, podcasts, you've sort of done them all. What would you say is the platform where you're the most comfortable, where you could just right now go crush and then go have a coffee? And what's the platform that you feel like you really want to get better at? Hmm. Wow, that's a great question. Look, there's always room for gro- growth, Mark. Uh, you know, I think we should continue to always educate ourselves and try and aim to be better. So I would say I could grow on all of those platforms. I You're not getting out I of think- this. Sorry. <laughs> you got to give me one. You got to give me one of each. <laughs> all right. Well, I do like writing a lot. I've been writing for Forbes lately, um, you know, about mental health issues and, you know, write for WebMD as well. Um, psych, psychology today, things like that. I do like writing a book. <laughs> a book yeah, my book. I mean, um, you just write a book. <laughs> but I have to. Okay, so I'll tell you a story so just to give people an understanding about how long writing does not come easy. By the way, it did not come easy to me. They were trained as clinicians, right? So I'll tell you a funny story. When I started at WebMD, right? Um, they said, okay, well, you can write some blog pieces if you'd like about parenting and kids. And I'm like, oh, great! Like that sounds awesome. And so there was, there was, um, I had um, the editor of the WebMD magazine, uh, the chief editor of the WebMD magazine was someone who was kind of like um, helping, kind of helping me through that journey. And so um, I wrote my first piece and I was really proud of it. And so I sent it to her and she was like, you came back to me with like tons of like cross outs, add this here, you need to expand on this, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, really? Am I really It'd be pretty deflating. Seriously, yeah. it was really deflating. So I was like, oh my God. And and so I, I was like really deflated and I didn't even look at it for a couple of days. And I'm like, okay, fine, I'll get back <laughs> to it. So I go back to it and I'm like, okay, here we go. This is it right here, right? And I sent it to her again. Came back a day later. Lots of accidents. <laughs> just like, oh my God. Like this is reminding yeah. me of when like I tried to do that abstract submission as a resident and like the attending right. was just like, I felt like there would be like 20 iterations and it never got better. So anyways, now I laugh about it with her. She's a good friend of mine now, but I just, I'm like, thank you for all of what you did because it was so painful at the time, but it totally got me to a place where I needed to be. So I'm not afraid of, of being critiqued as long as it's, it's, you know, something that contributes to my growth. That makes sense. That brings up an interesting subject though. I'm glad that you told that story. There is a recurring theme that I've learned a great deal about through our kind of med Twitter community where people talk about reviewer two 
that when you send in an article for review and it comes back just absolutely hammered um, and sometimes like it gets personal and there's people feel really like hard done by when they do this. I wonder if right thinking about places where we can have better situational awareness and an opportunity to improve making that process a little bit more transparent so that people know, look, when you send an article to journal X, our reviewers are going to do these things like have it be forward facing. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to offer. And here's our goals, right? We got to make sure that it's suitable for our journal. We're going to help you develop something better so that we can really make this thing soar. And look, hopefully this can help you with some personal development. I don't think we're there yet. I think that people continue to get that sort of blindsided, deflated feeling. And I, I, I worry that instead of encouraging people to say, keep going, write some more, write again, that we're saying, you are inadequate, you are not fit for this journal, F off. Yeah, I agree. I think setting expectations is just really, really important. And Mark, I think we have to realize that, and what I realized through that journey was that, look, I mean, we are trained in a certain way. This is not the training we've had. And so I think that it's two things. Like, yeah, the journals and the, the, you know, the press that we're trying to, and a lot of us write for like the main press now. Uh, Yeah. We have like the expectations should be set up front. But then we as clinicians need to need to do this one thing. Let's check our ego at the door. Mm. Where you know what I mean? Like if a journalist came to you and said, hey, move over, Dr. Shapiro, like I can examine this patient, what would you say? <laughs> like you'd be like, no, what are you talking about? Well, you know, the journalists that helped me write would probably see, feel the same way. And they did. Like, I got that pushback a lot. It wasn't just that in the first year. It was every new thing that I did, I was like, often hammered. I'll be really honest about it, right? But it allowed me to grow. So yeah, don't get me wrong. I did feel deflated. Like, we are all human. But having said that, there is a flip side that was positive. So that's a really good point. I think and, and there's a balance to be struck, right? We want to make sure that we can can handle ourselves kind of in the arena. I would submit, though, that they're having submitted my own articles and received feedback that I've been surprised at. It's an opportunity for improvement, again, with the goal being to get the best possible content out there and in creating it, allowing people to feel like you can do this, you can do it again, and we want you to do it again. There's probably, but your point is also well taken that in the moment, like if something is crummy, we need to be able to digest that this is not up to standard and it needs to be fixed. Yeah, absolutely. And and believe me, there's there's been times where I've said, no, this needs to stay in the article. I feel very strongly about this. I know this yeah. is a health professional and this is an important point. And they backed off. I mean, you know, Interesting. So it's, a, yeah. it's a conversation that you have to have. And I'm not saying compromise your own goals or anything like that. Absolutely yeah. not. I'm just saying it's an, it's an opportunity to grow, I think. <laughs> so goals, growth, you've written a book. I would imagine that was a big exercise in personal growth and the completion of a goal. How do people find it? Oh, well, thank you for asking. Um, So the book is about my journey personally with my own kids. That's how it starts off, but also with my patients. And, you know, it's about the stress that happened before the pandemic. And now, of course, it's been exacerbated. So uh, the book is there's a lot of information I hope that people take away, not just for the kids, but for themselves, Um, which is why I have focused on like uh, the self-care chapter. The book is called Building happier kids and it's being published by the american academy of pediatrics um, and you can find it at amazon 
Uh, there's a link there. You can pre-order it. It comes. It's um, slated for publication March 15th. And so would love for people to check it out. And, and if they can do reviews, I would be so, so very happy and grateful for that also. It's a very powerful tool. So yes, doing reviews on Amazon or wherever you buy it is a, is a huge driver for an author's success. And how do people find you? How do they follow you? This will not be the last thing that you do. I would imagine it will be one of many great achievements in 2022 and beyond. How do people follow you? How do they find you on Medscape? How do they find you on social media? Absolutely. So uh, on social media, I'm on Twitter at Dr. Hansa, sorry, at Hansa Bargava MD, at Hansa Bargava MD. That's my Twitter handle. On Instagram, it's at Dr. Hansa MD. And then, of course, I'm on LinkedIn as well. So, yeah, absolutely. I would love for people to reach out and, you know, I'm happy to help. And, you know, Mark, you and I have talked on Twitter messaging and all of that and Twitter spaces. We did so, Twitter um, spaces. That was super yeah. fun. Yeah. So that's one thing I'm also doing that might be interesting for people to um, listen in on that. Um, it's not a podcast like yours, but it's like a 10 to 15 minute conversation with different amazing people like yourself. And really the main theme is like life work balance um, and new opportunities that clinicians are kind of taking on now. So we had you, we had Sasha Shilkett, you know, who's, who's amazing. Um, we will have Naveen Goyal, who is who just wrote a book called um, Physician Underdog. Um, and so, yeah, some great people that we're interviewing. We're having Brandon Stagler from One Mind, who's the present CEO of, of that organization. So, yeah, lots of good stuff. But anyways, that's how you find me. That's fantastic. This was a total treat. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for writing the book. It was an absolute blast to speak with you. This was awesome. Well, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to speak to you, Mark. Thank you. My thanks once again to Hansel for joining me on this episode of Explore the Space Podcast. It was an absolute treat to speak with her. Her book is awesome. I have had a chance to read it. It will be available on March 15th. Links in the show notes. Definitely check it out. Definitely check out her Twitter-based conversations as well. She shares when she's going to do them from her Twitter feed. They're fun. I've been a guest on one. I've participated as an audience member in a couple of other ones. They're high yield. It's only a couple of minutes long. They are worth the time. I, I really enjoyed the experience, and it's fun to see what she's doing with Twitter spaces as well. Thank you also to Lori Bedke and Creighton University for sponsoring this episode. Learn more about Creighton's Executive MBA and Executive Fellowship programs at www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E. And thanks to you so much for listening. We will be back with more great content. There's some Med Lasso content, as well as some more incredible episodes of Explore the Space podcast coming your way. Definitely check out the archive wherever you download your shows. And definitely check out the merch store, www.explorethespaceshow forward slash merch delighted with what's in there. I'm super proud of it. It's a really fun project. Take a look around, see if there's anything you like. Hit me on social media, Twitter at ETS show, Instagram at explore the space show. We'll be back soon with more great content till then. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to explore the space. Visit us on our website, explore the space And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS show and you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.